You're listening to. Listening to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Ri Ray Yu. And we are here today to discuss our February 2023 book club pick, The Charmed List by Julie Abe, a YA romantic comedy about magically aware teens and their road trip across California. But before we get to that, Rira, how how have you been? Uh, it's been um I know people might not listen to us right away, but uh, it's been a very wet couple of days and i've had not a few amount of friends who have experienced leaking roofs so Rira, how are you weathering this um california winter storm it's been so cold in my apartment insulation does not exist in southern california (laughs) so um i've been blasting my heater and hoping that it would last for a good number of hours before having to like turn it off and then turn it back on again. Um, It's been so cold outside to a point where uh, I saw hail. And I was like, what is happening? (laughs) (laughs) In SoCal, it's February. It should already be in like the high 60s. And I know we have a wet season, but it's it's a little bit too late for <laughs> there to be rain usually. So I was I was just like, what is happening? I did not move here for this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm glad you're not taking the usual like East Culture stance of calling everyone here wusses because, you know, our infrastructure is not really built for this. And it's actually it's way more extreme than we were expecting because there's there's actually like we actually had snowfall like off the mountain. Like there's actually yeah. snowfall that stuck, which is not something that usually happens out here. Hail is probably as extreme as it gets. Like we had some hail down. I, I live a little bit more south uh, in L.A. County than you do. So we didn't get as much hail, but still it was quite the week. But I'm glad that you were able to uh, weather the storm. It's- I saw like I saw TikToks where uh People were showing how flooded the freeways were. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> how are people getting home? How are people going to work? Like it, it was it was a lot. And I know there were a lot of accidents as well, because uh, as a lot of transplants know in L.A., uh, L.A. drivers don't know how to drive in the rain and uh, harsh road conditions. So I was just like. This is asking for a death wish. I mean, to be fair, most people don't know how to drive in the rain, even outside. That's of LA. not true. That's <laughs> not true. I'm going to pull my East Coast card here. That's not I'll true. I'll say this: when I was living in DC, those drivers are way worse than LA drivers. I feel like with LA drivers, it's it's either two things: like one, they're driving way too fast because they're not used to the road being slippery and they end up hydroplaning or like not really paying attention to how their car is slipping to the other lane. And then yeah, the, other, mean, the other way is like they're driving way too slow. And I'm like, what are you doing? I mean, part of that is just our roads aren't built for handling water. So water pulls and that's not how you're supposed to build roads to deal with water. And what I found honestly is having grown up in LA, I learned how to drive defensively a lot because there are a lot of shitty drivers out there. And 
I found that most of those shade drivers are also transplants. Like they did not grow up out here. <laughs> that's really uh, that's really interesting. But you know, LA is full of transplants, so yeah, it's kind of hard to tell like who. <laughs> like, yeah, that is to say, um, bad driver is not a monolith. LA driver is also not a monolith. There are many reasons uh, and backgrounds and histories that we need to take into account, and. That all comes together to create the um, hot mess that is the traffic situation in Los Angeles, especially during the rain. Segwaying from bad drivers to our delightful road trip rom-com. Road trip? <laughs> um, yeah, we are here to talk about The Charm List by Julie Abe. It is a magical-themed YA rom-com that was, yeah, a lot of fun because, um, and we'll get to this later, but... Books and Bulba, we make a cameo in this book, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, but before we get to the charm list, just your standard spoiler warning, we will be talking about all the plot points in the books, including um, any spoilers or plot twists, which um, there really aren't that many in this book. It's just a lot of really fun scenes. But um, if you haven't read the book and that's something that's important to you, um, go read the book um, and then come back and listen to our discussion. Um, we'll be here whenever you are ready. But with that, let's get started with our discussion. Rira, can you start us off with the book jacket description for the charm list? Yeah, sure. Ellie Kobata has spent most of high school on the sidelines, keeping her art Instagram private and shying away from the world. She can't even tell her only friend Leah who she really is. Ellie's part of a secret magical community, and no one outside of it can know it exists. The only person Ellie could ever fully relate to was Jack Yasuda, her childhood friend who mysteriously started to snub her a few years ago. But before her senior year, Ellie is ready to take some risks and have a life-changing summer, starting with her anti-wallflower list, 13 items she's going to check off one by one. With this list, she hopes to finally come out of her shell, even though she can't share her full self with the world. But when number four on Ellie's list, revenge on Jack Yasuda, goes horribly wrong, she's certain her summer is cursed. Instead of spending it with Leah, Ellie finds herself stuck in a car with Jack, driving to a magical convention. But as Ellie and Jack travel to the coast of California, number 13 on her list, Fall in Love, may be happening without her realizing it. Yeah, so this is a, like, what, is there like a name for this theme or this trope, which is like high school attempted glow up? I don't, I don't know if it's a glow up. Glow up really sounds <laughs> superficial when it comes, because it's like about looks, right? Um, I feel like everyone in, in like, it usually doesn't happen in the middle of high school. Sometimes it happens like at the end of middle school, right when you're going to high school or, uh, when you have graduated high school and you're about to go to college, people kind of want to make a new identity for themselves. So that is something that I feel like a lot of people can relate to. Yeah. I mean, there is a lot of. I guess, societal pressure to have a quote-unquote ideal high school experience, right? Like certain things you need to do while you're still young that we've been taught through things like pop culture and media. And at the same time, there are lots of different ways to also experience that, right? I mean, um, listen, I was part of a friend group where after prom, we went to our friend's house and just watched Aladdin in their uh, in their home theater, <laughs> so uh, that is kind of the friend group I was in. Um, 
Yeah, like I do remember in senior year, we did have a list of our own. We're like, we need to do these things before we graduate because it's the quintessential um, things you're supposed to do in high school. Like none of us had been to a football game because our <laughs> football team was really bad. And we're like, what is the point? Our marching band is the reason why um, <laughs> people even show up. So I was like, okay, we'll go to homecoming, I guess. And uh <laughs> Yeah, it was it was just like we did stuff like that and we did it begrudgingly only because we wanted to tick off our before graduation <laughs> list. <laughs> yeah, see, I went to every single high school football game, um, but only because I was in that marching band. So <laughs> I had yeah. to. And, you know, we did it because we wanted a PE credit. Uh, my school offered PE credit for marching band. So if we did four years of marching band, uh, we didn't have to take PE at all. Wow. that We did not have that. I had to take PE during the summer because I wanted to take art classes senior <laughs> year, but they wouldn't let me because I hadn't taken intro to art. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? I go to art school outside of high school. I've been going to art school since like middle school. I have over six years of visual arts experience. You're telling me that I have to take intro to art in order to like take other art classes. It was a whole thing. <laughs> um, so I did relate to a lot of um, like Ellie's like art insecurity stuff. This was before art, art Instagrams were a thing, but I never showed my work to most of my friends. So <laughs> it's terrifying, right? I know a lot of people who, you know, that's, that's the reason why people write fanfic under like aliases and, and screen names. I right? did that too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> people will never know my my pen name and the <laughs> fandoms that I wrote for. Uh, yeah. Even even like my closest friends didn't even know that oh. I I was like very active in fandom culture, like ha like being part of K-pop forums and being the administrator for them and writing <laughs> fanfic and actually being like kind of famous, not to brag, but well, yeah. It, it what was if like, you were your friend's favorite fanfic author and they just never knew it? Um, I hope they never read it because <laughs> <laughs> it's really embarrassing. Um, but yeah, I just felt like, like back then, sharing your art with, with anyone is really terrifying. And I can't imagine just like the state of sharing your art these days because strange strangers from all over the world are are looking at it and judging it. Not to say that like fanfic writing was also, you know, people from from all corners of the world didn't like judge you. But yeah. I, I feel like putting yourself out there on Instagram is a lot scarier. Yeah. I mean, these days there's also robots crawling and trying to steal your work to create AI. Oh, art, we're not so, we're know. not going there. We're not going there. That's <laughs> Okay, that's like one thing that I realized while I was reading this book. I am way too cynical. Um, <laughs> this book is like very fluffy and optimistic. Uh, and there's we'll like an to innocence to it that I'm like, I, I don't have that innocence. I wonder if I ever did. I'm Maybe I'm too jaded for this <laughs> love story. <laughs> well, well, we'll get to that later because th that's definitely something I want to discuss because I definitely had the same types of feelings like... <laughs> Does this guy deserve to be forgiven? We'll see. But, um, you know, 
Ellie is our main character, and the reason she created this list is because she's gone through middle school and high school being a self-professed wallflower, which was triggered by um, her best friend growing up kind of ghosting her and leaving her like to wallow in her insecurities, which has developed into pretty much like full-blown social anxiety, right? Like she is someone who always sees the worst case scenario, no matter where she goes, she like, it's always in her head, like imagining things that may or may not be true. Right. What did you think about like Ellie's character being set up as like this wallflower with anxiety? Well, as someone who is a wallflower and who (laughs) has been a wallflower pretty much all throughout uh, grade school, except for high school, I was still a wallflower uh, amongst like the popular kids, but within my friend group, uh, I, there were a lot of extroverts, so they kind of forced me to be friends with them. <laughs> it's kind of like the whole situation with Leah, where yeah. <laughs> you're just kind of forced into the friendship and they're just not going to leave. Um, but yeah, a lot of the social anxieties that she had, like I definitely related to it. And I felt really bad because as like an older person, like I'm looking at it from you know hindsight being like, why are you so afraid of you know, like how you're going to look to other people and like these jerks in high school who are pretending that you're invisible, like they don't matter. Why do you want to matter to them? Um, But like with a lot of her wallflower anxieties, I I definitely saw like a younger self. (laughs) (laughs) I I was like, oh, maybe if I was a teenager and I read this, I would have like been more... Uh, receptive to the fluffy romance (laughs) and like just that feeling of feeling of wanting to belong I also had that experience of you know having friends in middle school and then you go to high school and they pretend that they're too cool for you that's okay because they were jerks and (laughs) um (laughs) Also, it was just like I went to church a lot. So a lot of the kids that I was friends with at church, we went to the same high school. And then in high school, they would pretend that we weren't friends. So or or mm. it was just like we're not we're not going to interact with each other Jeez. because it's just it. it's like two worlds colliding. And it was kind of like an unsaid rule. Um, I don't want to say like I, I would probably say it didn't affect me that much, whereas like with. Ellie, she actually grew up with Jack. They were childhood friends. So there's more of like a deep bond there. Yeah, it's like having that sense of like, Rira, you and I are older. I'm a bit older than you. And, you know, when we look back on times like in high school and college and we think about the people we used to hang out with that we might not hang out with anymore, people that we used to know that we don't um, no anymore like there is that like sense of like ennui kind of um that like oh remember remember those old days and to have that sort of experience so young also when like literally it's like someone you know for half your life suddenly is not part of it anymore there is i can see there being that sense of loss like like my <laughs> I, I had it's not a similar situation but um when i was in seventh grade i was involved in the car accident so i had to be like homeschooled for like a year um, oh my God, Martin. And so um, when I went back to school, I literally was in an entirely like different social circle. Like I was originally like in the honors track and now I was like, in like the regular track. And so a lot of the friends that I had 
like I didn't see for maybe like two, three years before like I was able to like test back in. So there's definitely that sense of like alienation too. Like, you know, you're in the same place as the people that you knew, but because you're not interacting with them every day in every class, there is also the sense of separation. And, you know, in Ellie's case, her best friend growing up, someone who like she trusted all of a sudden totally like goes to her and pretends she doesn't exist. That is that is some psychic damage right there, man. That is pretty bad. Yeah, it, it is pretty bad. But also I will say that I was not as empathetic at, uh, to Ellie as <laughs> a lot of readers might might have been, because to me, I mean, you find out that Jack's mother had passed away and um like it it was just like that was kind of when a lot of changes were happening. This was kind of like when he started ghosting her and uh, um his father started to really make his business charm works like priority and try to make it into like the Walmart of charm uh, of charms and magical items. And I was like, I I wish Ellie had shown him a little bit more grace because, you know, you know that your friend is going through a hard time with like a parent's death. And it I was just like, mm, maybe like Jack was a jerk, but also like I, I feel like she could have been more understanding. I don't know. Like, I mean, that was kind of my. It's, that was kind of like my, I my mean, their reaction. fallout isn't explored super deeply, so we don't know how long of a time frame it took place in. But the way I read it, it was pretty abrupt, and he kind of shut her down. And I want to say that she probably did try, right? Because we know that this is a very important relationship to her. And we know that his treatment of her is what causes her to have like this emotional shutdown, also this isolation, right? Because he actively, like, didn't he actively contribute to her alienation by like not like not just not acknowledging her, but also not backing her up when other people saw that, oh, they're not friends anymore. She must be uncool. Yeah. I, yeah. There there were moments where, you know, he and his cool friends would make fun of her and he wouldn't step up to, you know, to defend her. And, you know, in hindsight, as older people, you know, we can say that wasn't right. But when you're a teenager, you really like high school is your only social circle for most young young people. So I can see why you would feel pressured to to do that in order to fit into your group. I mean, it's, I can see it, why, but that also doesn't make like I feel like I feel less sympathy towards him than her. Interesting, interesting. I, yeah. yeah, like you and I are kind of in flip positions for for that because i feel like I, I feel like i'm more empathetic for for jack because i'm just like oh no you're bff like they lost their mom and uh there's a lot of trauma going around and you know like you grew up with him maybe hanging out with you reminds him of you know all the times that, that seems he, more of a him issue than a her mom. issue though to it be really is but also i feel like there should have been more understanding but <laughs> i think it's it just like depends on your perspective i would love to hear uh what our listeners think <laughs> are you more on jack's side are you more on ellie's side uh yeah i would love to hear your thoughts on goodreads yeah i think my thing is he was more actively a jerk than she was like he intentionally hurt her 
where she yeah. may have unintentionally hurt him. But if I mean, this is part of the rom-com setup, right? There's no communication between the two. They both assume things of the other that may or may not be true, but no one actually talks to each other, right? Which is which is what creates the the, the tension for the story. You you brought up Charmworks, which is Jack's father's store. Um, what did you think about the magical system set up in this book? I really liked it. The last book that we read, Babel, was also like magical realism, a mm-hmm. lot of practical magic. So it's kind of similar in that way, where <laughs> where like a lot of the magic here, it's not, you know, it's it's not based on science, but you know, it's like not there's a system to it i guess I, it's very practical yeah i love that it's it's not like big magic they're not like casting fireballs or like tearing holes into the fabric of like reality but you no know, magic is used for things like oh let's give someone a little bit more courage today let's give someone the feeling of more confidence let's fix this crack on this phone. <laughs> like if I had a magic fixer powder that can fix cracks on my phone, man, I would save so much on like phone covers, right? Um, yeah. I I it did remind me a lot of uh Eva Evergreen, which was Julie Abe's debut book. Um I love the idea that magic is always in the air. There's like this dust and they have to collect it by using uh, vials and they can only see the dust through rose tinted uh, <laughs> glasses and that reminded me of like the golden compass because you have magical dust there yeah. um, <laughs> I really like the idea of magic being infused in food and wow the food descriptions in this book so good lots of really good specifically Asian American favorites like matcha tea and boba and like and pastries red bean pancakes <laughs> and yeah um yeah. yeah and I like the fact that magic in Julie's world here is not something that you're born with right it's not like a bloodline thing it's more just awareness of it and you know um there's all this world building that goes into like what it takes to be magic aware. You have to be licensed. You have, there's all this bureaucracy that I love. <laughs> like there's something really fun to read about magic bureaucracy, right? Like the institutions behind governing a magical world, right? And like half the fun of this book is exploring that like hidden world of magic in plain sight, because it's, <laughs> I also love that this takes place in the real world, right? The, the LA's community is the magic community of Palo Alto. And, it's centered around like a strip mall in like the city where all the magical aware people have stores. Yeah. And it kind of reminded me of the Asian American community. Um, also like the Japanese American community, because there's a lot of uh, local businesses here in Los Angeles and they've been around for a long time and it's like a very close knit community. So it reminded me a lot about that um, considering that, both Jack and Ellie are of Japanese descent. So the fact that um, they're in this strip mall and all of the local businesses there are like very tight knitted, it like it was very charming. Yeah. And, you know, within this tight knit community, there are also rivalries as there is. And Julie's hitting a lot of like really fun tropes here because not only do you have like best friends to enemies, but they're also 
children of rival business owners because Ellie's parents own a um what was it? it's a it's a tea shop right it's a tea shop yeah with pastries yeah <laughs> yeah and then um like we mentioned jack's dad owns a stationery store um and they have conflicting views about how magic should be used ellie's parents like to use charms to help people get through the day and then jack's dad prefers magic that feels like ambition and fortune it's kind of i don't know if you've been to like meiji shrine where like you get different charms like there's charms for um studying well there's charms for like wellness and then there's charms like for money and for like career success right like there's like different different people want different things in their superstitions yeah i mean one of my favorite scenes in the book is when they arrive at a magical village and it's kind of it's hidden from people who are not magically aware. So it's kind of like a tourist spot for magically aware people. And I love the fact that uh, all of the businesses there, they have like their own little magic trick to their products. And um, like, I really like the Enchanted Forest, which is the name of the apothecary and the pharmacy there. And just like, all of the different types of products that they had in order to heal, like, like immediately heal allergic reactions. I was like, oh, my God, that sounds oh, amazing. That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, it's not big magic, but I'm like, that's very useful, practical magic. I did relate to the scene where Ellie wakes up or Ellie finds that she has broken out in hives randomly. And because I have also experienced that, I think I am allergic oh, same to certain here. type of shellfish or specifically like what happens to shellfish when they're approaching their expiration date or past their expiration date. Because um, I've only gotten major hives after eating seafood at like shady Asian places. <laughs> so, Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I have, um, I'm allergic to peppermint. And mm. when it's infused with uh, chocolate, it's, it's really bad for mm. my skin. So when I was younger, uh, the first time I had mint chocolate ice cream, the next day, I woke up with hives from oh, no. scalp to toe. Like I couldn't go to school for a couple of days oh, no. because it was that bad. So I was like, Oh my god, this cream sounds amazing. I would have loved to have had it back then. I know, right? Magic sounds so convenient. Why can't we have that in real life? Also, I would have loved to have uh, the planners that Jack's family sells. Like they sound pretty useful. There were, and like a lot of the food magic too. Like we mentioned, uh, how they give you joy and confidence. They infuse a bit of uh, magic for that. I'm like. I would have liked that for days when I had like a a test. Like I would have loved to have like a calming, um, yeah, a calming cupcake of some sort. Also, those planners and notebooks at those Japanese stationery stores—they're pretty awesome. I every time I go to one, I like end up with two or three. Yeah, same thing with you know washi tapes and pens. Can't resist them. It's it's very bad. <laughs> bad for your wallet. Uh, so, as we mentioned, the bulk of the story is about a road trip where the families of Sorcerer Square, which is a very, like, hiding in plain sight-ass name for the strip mall with all the magically aware stores, um, are 
holding an exhibition booth at a magically aware, um, I guess um, it's called like, the California Magical Retailers Convention, yeah, <laughs> which is also like I love it. Just the like making the supernatural like super mundane and like dare I say boring kind of. <laughs> yeah, it really sounds like a very corporate conference. Well, I mean, yeah, they're you know. Both Ellie and Jack's parents are also suppliers of their magical goods to local stores. And so um, the original plan for Ellie was to take a road trip down the California coast with her best friend, Leah, who is the only friend that stuck by her throughout middle school and high school, and just have a amazing summer ticking things off of her anti-wallflower list. Uh, but then the reason she gets stuck going down with Jack is because in the process of fulfilling one of her goals, which is play a prank on Jack Isuda, they accidentally um, spill the beans and Leah discovers magic and has a bad reaction. And what did you think about Leah's super, super tragic backstory? Like I was not expecting like Jack's backstory is already pretty sad, but Leah's is like K-drama levels of like, man, I was this like, this is psychological <laughs> damage. This is psychological damage that, that you really can't come back from. So <laughs> I I was just like, Grandma, why didn't you tell your granddaughter that her parents, like, are in the hospital? The fact that she's in a comp... Like, you can always compete in a different competition. I just feel like that was just a really heartbreaking scene in the book. And the fact that the grandmother was so heartless and say, oh, you're supposed to win first place. Why did you win second place? Oh, I didn't tell you because, you know, then you wouldn't have competed. Then you would have left to go see your parents one last time. I'm like, yeah, grandma, grandma like piece of crap. (laughs) I mean, like one of one of one of Leah's parents is the child of her grandmother. And I'm just like, are you not affected by this tragedy. <laughs> yeah. And I can see like it being this is how the grandmother wants to honor the parents' sacrifice to make sure that their child wins first place. But it's also like, yeah, that's the kind of twisted Asian American flavor love that like can really F a child up, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when Leah finds out about magic, she kind of has she kind of has like a mental breakdown. She's like, why didn't you use magic to save my parents? Why didn't you uh, use magic to help me get over my trauma? Which, you know, Ellie did try. She offered her treats that had like doses of joy and like tranquility. And it's like that's the only thing that she can do magically. But Leah, obviously in her grief, she's re-traumatized so it's a lot for her to process. Yeah. And Ellie being the already like anxious person she is also takes this very badly because now she's sad that she's going to lose another best friend. And on top of that, now she's as punishment, she's forced to take the road trip down with Jack instead of Leah. And what did you think about that punishment, though? I like, mean, to me, I was like, why is Mr. Yasuda agreeing yeah. to, agreeing to his son going on a road trip with uh, Ellie alone, too. <laughs> so I was just like, that's a little bit strange. Uh, the punishment kind of doesn't really feel like a punishment other than the fact that... Yeah, it's a punishment yeah. only if you consider the fact that they hate each other or quote-unquote hate each other right now. And so um, they'll have a terrible time. 
but that doesn't seem like a parental punishment. That seems like the type of punishment like your friends would give you. Your friends would jerk, give you. Right? I I mean, like, what happens is that Leah has to sign a form, like an NDA, being like, yo, you need to take some classes to learn about uh, our magical community and and not leak it to... Yeah, like what you can and uh, can't to, do, right? Because they've had people. issues where non-magical where people who become aware of magic uses magic for like nefarious means, like election tampering and like fraud, right? So it, it's a concern with the community to make sure that only people who are licensed and under like the purview of the magical community's laws can be magically aware. Because... You know, in, in a in a different, more, I guess, dark version of the story, Leah could try to do a full metal alchemist, right? Try to bring her parents back using dark magic. Oh, she definitely would if there was a way. <laughs> but yeah, like after Leah is unable to go on this road trip, I just I, I was just like, why why are the parents uh <laughs> you know replacing leah with jack because because their reason is you guys need time to reflect on your actions and um you know you guys you guys are in big trouble you guys may be kicked out of the magically aware community because you guys uh showed magic in front of the general public so this is this is a very big no-no and i'm like i feel like the gravity of the situation and the punishment it's not on the same level. I mean, you know, you got to balance the need to punish your children and the need for child labor to ferry your shit down oh, yeah. to Huntington Beach, right? <laughs> I was like, 100% they made their children uh, go down because they're like, it's cheaper to to use our, our children than to hire like a U-Haul and, you know, people to do it for us. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, but thus that begins the road trip, road trip from hell to which, Huntington Beach, <laughs> which I love. Huntington Beach is the beach that my friends and I would go for bonfires in college and high school. Um, so like I'm I was like really excited. And, you know, I what I loved about the road trip is it went they went through so many places that like are familiar. Right. They stopped by San Jose. They stopped by Gilroy. And, you know, you can't stop by Gilroy, California without talking about the Gilroy Garlic Festival, which, like, they also bring up. And along the way, you know, they they do a tour of, like, a lot of magically aware um, stores and shops. And you know, one of my favorite stops was the one with the, the Vietnamese mom who immediately tried to set up Ellie with her son, who seemed a little too young for her. It's it's a curse. <laughs> I feel I feel like I've been set up quite quite a bit. From from like mm. other moms being like, hey, are you single? Well, like, let me tell you about my son. And I'm <laughs> like, I like I've never met your son. I don't know why you think we would be a good match. But uh, yeah, along the way, um, I thought it was really clever of Ellie and Jack's siblings to like plant uh, to oh, like the make their, yeah to like make their bentos scream. <laughs> until like Ellie and Jack were able to have a proper conversation. And I'm like, good job. Yeah. Younger siblings. I mean, because they both have had to deal with both of their older siblings being mopey for years and years. And you can tell that they they know that 
the thing that they need to do is talk to each other. And it was a little frustrating that even though they did agree to talk to each other, they did find some loophole to not actually say what needed to be said. But this was like their first challenge in their road trip. And I like I love the fact that they try to skirt the rules. (laughs) Yeah. uh, The other highlight of the road trip is their stopover at San Luis Obispo, where um, Ellie finds her way into a tea shop bookstore named Books and Boba, which shout outs thanks to Julie for um, the cameo appearance. While she was in there, I was like, hmm. Should we open a tea store slash bookshop? I don't want to think about how much work that would <laughs> out happen. People who open bookshops, especially during uh, the pandemic, I know there were a couple of uh, bookshops that uh, that did. And I'm like, that sounds like so much work. Uh, bookshops are definitely not a big profit-making business. <laughs> So you really have to just open it uh, expecting deficit. But that's and, why you supplement with the milk tea. I mean, yes, that is <laughs> that is a strategy that most bookshops use, but it's still not enough. <laughs> I'm saying this as someone who used to work at a bookshop. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I remember before the Charmed List had come out, Julie had mentioned it on Twitter that like she was going to name a bookshop after us. And I was like, oh my God, Julie. <laughs> like, it's like, I want to cry. Yeah, we appear in her acknowledgements too. It was really cool to see Books and Boba in the special thanks section of, of any book. So um, yeah, I was- I, I also was... loved like, I also love the cameos of other like book bloggers and uh, and also like, uh, also like Spin the Dawn by Elizabeth Lim. I was like, <laughs> Wow. Like, Julie is really giving all the shout outs to the Asian American literature <laughs> community in her book. Yeah. So that was really nice. And of course, I have a soft spot for characters who love books and love going to bookshops because that's usually the first thing that I do when I go to a new town. I'm like, what's their bookshop like? Yeah. Do they have a do they even have a bookshop? Because local bookshops are really hard to come by these days. But now I will be disappointed if I go to a bookshop and there is no adjacent or connected boba joint too. I'm like, where's my books on boba? Do you know who I am? <laughs> No need to get big headed. <laughs> but let's talk about Ellie's anti wallflower list. There's 13 um, actions on there, and I'm just going to go go through them all. The first one conquer, aka survive the giant dipper at the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk. <laughs> Number two, pierce my upper ear cartilage and hopefully don't faint. Three, crash a wedding with a plus one. Four, revenge on Jack Yasuda, which we talked about earlier. Uh, five, go on a picnic date, which was kind of the whole bento box situation. With technically, with it counts. Forced, yeah. It technically counts. <laughs> uh, six, win a contest, any contest. Seven, dance under the stars with someone. Eight, make my art Instagram account public. Maybe. Nine, have a fake model shoot to use as a senior year book photo. I can't relate. Um, <laughs> 10, sneak onto the beach for midnight s'mores. 11, the perfect first kiss. 12, a summer boyfriend, or maybe for more than just the summer. 13, fall in love. I feel like the last three could be just condensed into one. 
I mean, but we've, I all, get we've it. all written lists. You know, there's it's it's obviously a first draft with the liner notes also included because you know there's a lot of hedging on this list too. Um, I thought it was pretty cool. I, I really enjoyed um, number one, her knocking off number one off the list because um, we didn't talk about the date with the um, the the f boy, but um, I totally related with her not her fear of roller coasters, but her story of being forced into one too young because um, that's exactly what my cousins did to me the first time we went to Six Flags together. Because um, you know, I've always been I'm a pretty tall guy, right? I'm a six foot tall Asian dude. I've been tall for my age my entire life, so I was able to go on to like the quote unquote adult coasters, like the loop de loop ones, like since I was maybe like eight or nine. And so my cousins definitely took advantage of that to trick me onto the Viper at Six Flags Magic Mountain. But unlike Ellie, I fell in love with roller coasters, was not traumatized. You're, you're, you're very lucky. Uh, <laughs> my dad also did the same thing at Six Flags. That seems to be the place where a lot of trauma <laughs> happens to, to people who are afraid of heights. Uh, I think that was the first time I learned that I was afraid of heights because uh, <laughs> I, I, too, was pretty tall for my age. And uh, my dad managed to uh, sneak me on to Goliath, which oh, was like no, the biggest, pretty big. <laughs> biggest coaster. <laughs> and uh, after that, I felt really sick. And um, mm. my fear of heights and roller coasters came. But because oh, no. I have very extroverted friends who also love roller coasters, I kind of learned to conquer that. So I okay. related. I related to Ellie and being like, "I'm afraid of roller coasters, but this is something that I have to conquer." Um, so good on her for facing her fear. I thought it was really. Uh, I thought it was a really funny scene where she she's like constantly badgering the um, the park employee, being like, <laughs> "Where's the exit? Is this safe? This is the only safety measure. Like, where are the seatbelts?" <laughs> But the guy that she went on the roller coaster with, um, you know, like, he turns out to be very uh, <laughs> red flags everywhere. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. Yeah. And poor Ellie did not see any of those because Ellie does not see red flags or... or you know, I mean, uh, I mean she this was... is her first time flirting, you know? So I get it. <laughs> it's true. But but he says like oh my god he, like like on the roller coaster he's trying to kiss her and then he says you're so exotic yeah whoa yikes hell? dude whoa <laughs> so you kill the mood right then and there I hope she vomits in your mouth that's literally <laughs> what I thought when yeah um, I thought we're, they were gonna kiss and I mean that interaction is also the first time you get hints of the fact that like. Jack still cares about Ellie and her well-being because she totally tells the guy, I think his name was Ezra, to back off. Um, but being who they are, he doesn't tell her why he did it. And so she assumes that she's, he's just trying to ruin her love life, um, which, you know, I get that misunderstandings and miscommunication is the bread and butter of rom-coms. But I, I wanted to like, just like, dude, you guys just need to... <laughs> you guys can keep doing this. This it's been it's been half a book. You guys need to just I mean this is <laughs> kind of what Remy and Cam are going going <laughs> yeah. through. They're like our older siblings just need to talk and they're in forced proximity because of our parents. So this is this is our chance to 
make them talk about their feelings. Uh, it seems like everybody could have advantaged from therapy, and therapy is something that is mentioned in the book, which I really liked. Yeah. Um, so, um, was there anything else on the road trip that you wanted to um, touch on before we get to the the final act in the convention? I like the magical cottage that they ended up in. Oh yeah, like the, um, the bread and breakfast that they stopped. <laughs> was it bread and breakfast? It was kind of like a pit stop, but it was a really fancy pit stop that was kind of like a bed and breakfast at the same time <laughs> and i was like wow that's that's really useful and uh, i don't know like i love magical cottages it it's just like a staple in <laughs> just like magical uh settings it really reminds me of like ghibli background art and yeah. that's kind of what i was like a rustic like, like kiki delivery yeah. service like Zaniba from uh, Spirited Away, or Zaniba's Zaniba's sister. I I don't remember the characters' names perfectly. The, the good granny, the good granny, yeah, with the with the cottage in the middle of the woods. Yeah, um, the, those things were a lot of fun. I, I did love that. Like, you know, for for a moment, we were transported into like another world per se, where everything was a little magical. But in the middle of this was like a shark's tank, right? Like a shell's pitch from Jack to for the cottage to carry um, charm works, um, stationery and products. Oh, no, I was not talking about that bed oh. and breakfast. I was talking about the pit stop where oh, okay. the, their tire gets deflated oh, and they right, use right, right, magic right. to fix their tire. And I was like, oh, my God, I needed this for the road trips that I've been <laughs> on because something always goes wrong with the car for some reason. Yeah, that so. was a lot of fun. Uh, but... I but guess. the bed and breakfast, yeah, I did like the sales pitch. And I like the <laughs> ice cream that they had because, like, the ice cream was supposed to change flavors depending on what you were thinking. And I was like, huh, huh. Yeah. As someone who loves ice cream, this is something that I would have really liked that because I do fun. get bored with flavors and <laughs> sounds it's, it sounds very nifty. Yeah. Um, and then so they make their way down to Huntington Beach in Orange County. Um, and set up their booth and <laughs> have a brief interlude solving a um, escape room. And I mean, escape rooms are already stressful enough, but one that takes you to like a like alternate reality bubble sounds actually pretty terrifying. You know, they have VR escape rooms now, mm-hmm. and yeah, they and they also have like horror escape rooms oh, in those in like the vr sphere and i'm like i could never like i don't like being immersed (laughs) in any kind of experience like i really hate the the 3d 4d rides at universal studios (laughs) because it just i I just hate it so much it just makes me really anxious um so i was just like i could i could never so i can see why ellie was ellie and jack you know, they're kind of forced into more forced proximity and they have to work together. And they have like the romantic moment where, you know, they're holding hands. And I was like, this is a very good uh, yeah. rom-com scene. Yeah, a very good situation to uh, force them to confront their, at least their inner feelings to for each other. But, you know, this being a rom-com and this being the third act of a rom-com, it is immediately... Um, subverted by Ellie overhearing a conversation between Jack and his father where certain things are revealed such as um, Mr. Yasuda 
not approving of Ellie and Jack agreeing with him verbally. So Mr. Mr. Yasuda says that Ellie is too poor for Jack to to hang out with. And I was like, wow, I've heard that from my parents before. And yeah. it's <laughs> like it's it's a really heart-wrenching moment. And um also like you find out that Jack's family is actually going through money problems. And that's why the dad has been very insistent on uh, making sure that Charmworks is, you know, expanding. And it turns out that Minami, who Ellie thought was Jack's girlfriend, is um, her family. Her mom is a venture capitalist and they're relying on uh, their investment. And they also find out that Yasuda's private insurance didn't cover all of the medical bills for Jack's mother when she was sick. So it's a lot of revelations. <laughs> and I was like, wow, what a dramatic scene. And I can see why Ellie is like, this is a lot to take in. Yeah. And I also love that the younger siblings are like, the hell? Especially like um, Jack's brother, Cam, has been left off the loop of the family's problem, which you know makes sense because he's the younger brother and kids should be allowed to not worry about stuff that the adults worry about even though jack has you know shouldered all the responsibility and i think this is where i mean i get why he would be more closed off in terms of like he needs to help his father out but this still doesn't justify like him being a jerk to ellie and yeah but it's also it's we're also going back to the point where i was like i feel like ellie should in hindsight, Ellie should have been more empathetic, but also, you know, how was how could she have been more understanding if he was going to close himself off? Yeah, there, there we have this situation, and also Jack is, you know, as like Jack is busy. He's tutoring. He's yeah. uh, taking internships. He's competing in tennis and giving out like tennis lessons to help earn money to uh, pay back debts and also to save money for his younger brother. So I'm like, there's a reason why he really couldn't hang out with her on top of going through emotional trauma of his mother's death. I mean, I get that. And if it was just that, I would be more on his side. But I think the thing that tips me over to Ellie's side is the fact that Jack also intentionally like ostracized her in school, which yeah. is a pretty dick move. And one that was like, you know what? Maybe you don't need this guy. He may be hot. You know, yeah. she spent the entire book thirsting after his tennis muscles. But is it worth it? Is this worth it? I also considered, like, I wondered if, so it's like obvious towards the towards the end of Act 2 that Jack really felt guilty and he missed Ellie. And to me, I was like, so the, the hate relationship was only one-sided. <laughs> one-sided. Jack didn't have anything to not like about Ellie. Yeah. Um, it's just a lot of guilt, but also, like, why is he sneering at her when, you know, they're interacting at their parents' businesses, when they're at school? It, there was a little bit of a disconnect there. I was like, huh, like, I wish, you know, there was a thing that Ellie did that really... Yeah, I mean, the really hurt him might be all be in Ellie's head, too, because as we have discussed she has she has anxiety and she sees the worst in every situation so it could just true, be true. her misreading his 
reactions. But at the same time, I think even though it was maybe a one-sided hate, Jack didn't do anything to reassure Ellie that she is important to him. Um, at least overtly, right? So I can understand why. Yeah. Like, if you don't know, how are you supposed to know? And they're also in high school, you know? Yeah. Like, like being emotionally intelligent. You know, you're you're still developing your brain at this point, and you still haven't experienced all the things that the world can offer. So um, I can understand like the mistakes that they go through, and it is very frustrating as an older person reading this book. Yeah, um, and like I said, I felt like I was really jaded. <laughs> this book really taught me, really exposed my cynicism in the world. Yeah, because um, there were there were like th- there were parts where I was just like, oh my god, like Ellie, you're like Ellie, you're such a dreamer because she's like, I want to dance under the stars, I want to fall <laughs> in love, and I was like, you have watched way too many rom com movies or. Um, I don't know. There were parts where I was like, there's a lot of sugar in it. It's real cheesy. Yeah. But that's the genre. And <laughs> I am not the main I am not the main demographic. So I like completely understand. I but enjoyed I did get a yeah, yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed the sweet and the fluffiness. Um, but in the back of my head, I was also saying, Ellie, you can do better than this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not Ezra, but you can do better than Jack for sure. Uh, what about the book guy from the bookstore? He seemed nice. But it's a road trip, you know? Like, you're only going to see that guy once. That's true. Um, but yeah, so she, they have their, their breakup scene. She mopes around in her hotel room for the rest of the convention. And then Leah comes back after taking classes and becoming certified, magically aware. She has forgiven Ellie, which surprises Ellie, but didn't surprise me because you know, like friends have fights, but you know, if the friendship is strong enough, like you move on, which is what Ellie and Jack should have done, but didn't do. But obviously Leah is a better friend and a better person than Jack. And she's able to come and like bring Ellie out of her shell again with um with s'more macarons from Honey and Butter, which is another real life macaron shop that's at the Irvine Spectrum that I've never eaten at because the line's always way too long. Yeah, the line's always really <laughs> long. You have to get there really early. So that's like the depth of their friendship. She stood in line to get, <laughs> exactly. to get those macarons. Uh, but Leah, the difference between Leah and Jack is Leah is older and she also has, you know, she took classes. She pretty much took counseling classes and there were people who were going through the same uh, experience as her and I feel like with Jack you know he didn't go to therapy he had to shoulder so many responsibilities on his own and um, you know you you get kind of a hint that things haven't really been the same in his house and there's a lot of like unresolved issues because he goes and buys these therapy incenses where it helps you like reflect on traumatic experiences with a protective lens, I guess. So I was like, huh, like I I like how pro-therapy this book is. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that you know, Leah was able to come back and you'll know, give that example of like true friendship, right? Like I was mad at you. I was emotional, uh, but I'm also sorry that I, I hurt you. Communication. Very big <laughs> a skill that you should learn. <laughs> yeah. And 
Uh, but <laughs> I mean, this is going on my like my personal opinion that Ellie could do better. I was like, are you sure you want to be pushing your your best friend towards this guy that's like been nothing but a jerk to her? Um, if um, um, because Leah does encourage um, not only encourage like kind of uh, does encourage Ellie to give Jack another chance. And I'm, I'm, you know, I mean, it's like you see your friend going through such a heartbreak and you also see Jack going through his heartbreak and they're like, okay, clearly they like each other. I mean, they have a very long history of caring for each other. There is a foundation of trust there, even though it was once broken, there is something to work off of. Yeah. So I I can see why Leah is like, I can see being that. supportive I'm, of her friend. Also, yeah. also, I thought it was really sweet the the ear piercing scene. How supportive Jack was. How he like helped distract her so she's not freaking out about needles. And <laughs> I was like, that's a really cute romantic moment that kind of redeems Jack in uh, Ellie's eyes. Yeah, I can see that. I can see Leah seeing. Okay, like now that they both have resolved to communicate and be honest with themselves maybe something can happen but i can also see that if this still doesn't work out leah will have ellie's back and i i'm happy for that of course it's good to have friends who you know will shield you and protect you and yeah. have your back when you know when you face heartbreak yeah. and this is when julie gives us the confession scene in the rain very notebook very <laughs> k-drama yeah and so they they decide to reconcile they talk things out they apologize to each other and you know the book ends with them going home with a newer brighter future also they crash a wedding oh yeah that's the epilogue yeah <laughs> and i was like you know there's a lot of trespassing on the anti-wallflower list. I know. As someone who's like planning a reception right now, I'm like, I don't know if I would appreciate if Randall's came into my wedding. I mean, sometimes you can't help it. It depends on the location. <laughs> like if you are staying at a hotel where there is a wedding, yeah, it's very easy to, to crash a wedding uh, in that situation. But yeah, I was just like, she really, she really said, I'm going to be a rebel. Uh, yeah. This summer. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I appreciate it. Do crimes, whatever. I mean, they kind of half crashed it. <laughs> they got caught right away, which was hilarious, too. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, it was a nice, sweet rom-com. Definitely very saccharine, very, like, very fluffy. But I had a lot of fun reading it, um, <laughs> even though I feel like um, Jack should have suffered a little more. Should have shown a little more regret. But uh, I wish they had more hate for each other because <laughs> it really is just like a misunderstanding i wish there was like more um more friction between the two that is like my main criticism just so that like the arc of their romantic adventure like it like i feel like it needed like a more i i wanted more enemies in the yeah it, it wasn't exactly enemies to lover because it was a one-sided Enmity. Yeah. Um, also, like as an older reader, uh, just Ellie saying, "Oh, I'm the plainest of plain Janes. Like I'm a wallflower. I don't know how to flirt, and no one thinks that I'm worth even looking at." 
I was like, girl, you have two stranger boys. You have two boys who are just hitting on you. Like, I feel like you're a lot prettier than you think you are, which is a classic insecurity uh, syndrome that a lot of um, quieter girls go through. I was like, I was a little bit frustrated, but I'm an older person. And I can say in hindsight that, you know, you will always be (laughs) prettier than you actually think. Um, Just, you know, when you're... When you're older, you're able to have that hindsight and be like, you know, I was quite a catch back then. (laughs) I don't know why I suffered, I I wallowed in insecurity. Yeah, and I'm Um, glad Ellie was able to at least come out a little bit more confident in where she stands with people that she considers her friends. Because, you know, I think those those anxieties are are better managed when you have people who can, who will back you up and who will tell you the things that you, you need to hear about yourself and both good and bad. Right. So, um, you know, <laughs> obviously the target audience for this book is not you and me. Rira. Yeah. Um, it's not, it's not us, not jaded old people <laughs> who are just like in, who are in stable relationships and know that communication is something <laughs> that you really need. Um, but yeah, like I, I feel like teenage me would have appreciated this book, and um, yeah, yeah, like I did relate a lot with Ellie, which is probably my, which is probably where my frustrations <laughs> came from, because <laughs> I'm like, that's like you, you could do better in in like. It's like your insecurities; it's all in your head. Yeah, and yeah. It, frustrating for me as an older person but <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so Catherine on our good read forums um commented and she said uh the charmed list was a cute read great for february yes i agree uh the magical world abe created was cute and fluffy and as an army member the bts shout outs were fun yes i did i did catch that and i was like yay julie and i are armies and i i just love the fact that she inserted that uh <laughs> And uh, Catherine also said, I know Ellie is young and we have tunnel vision at that age, but damn, she was not empathetic when it came to Jack. Yeah, it sucks that he quote unquote abandoned her, but it's totally understandable. He didn't want to be around someone who reminded him of a traumatic time. They are children and it's all hindsight, but she really didn't figure in his mom's death into his behavior at all. That... It, I feel a little bit validated in my opinion. Thank you, Catherine. <laughs> um, but continuing on, I also found Leah's backstory to be truly messed up. Why, Grandma? I know it was a setup for a plot point of her and Ellie's friendship, but I had to take time to process that. Yeah, Marvin and I agree. It was, it was pretty truly, rough. <laughs> that was pretty rough. Uh, she also says Abe gives a bit of Japanese camp history with why current Japanese communities slash businesses are important to keep. So, yes, I do agree. I think Julie did a pretty good job showing the community aspect. Um, and I do kind of wish the camp history came out a little bit more, but this is a very fluffy book and yeah. too much downer stuff is going <laughs> to drag it down. Yeah, so. I mean, yeah, I did appreciate that Julie... mentioned the camps you know because that is a fact of life for a lot of Japanese Americans especially if they're third or fourth generation 
um, that they've had family members that were interned during World War II. Um, I don't know. I kind of appreciate that it wasn't a bigger deal uh, because like, I'm of the opinion that we don't need to always explain Asian American history in these books at length. Like just mentioning them, I think, is is enough because that might trigger someone to go maybe look things up or do some more research about it. Um, my favorite part of the story of the book is Julie's world building. And I think this is something that she does really well. Right? This is kind of her her bread and butter is Signature. creating yeah. magical worlds. Right. Um, and I love that. And I love that this magical world is superimposed onto our real world. And there are so many locations that like, are so familiar, right? Palo Alto, um, Gilroy, San Jose, even um, Huntington Beach and the Spectrum. And I love that it was like a, she created a very grounded uh, magical system. Yeah, and I love the fact that magic is not the solution <laughs> to a lot of the conflict in the in the book. It can help a little bit, but it can't fix everything. Yeah. So, yeah, it could give you a, a little pinch of magic will give you a nudge in the right direction. Yeah. So I really like that. And um, yeah, uh, I haven't read Aliana Girl of Dragons or Julie Abe's uh, newest book, Tessa Miata is No Hero, but they also feature magical girls. And I love the fact that she is expanding on this genre. Yeah. So yeah, if definitely. you liked, <laughs> yeah, so if you liked Eva Evergreen and The Charmed List, I think you would enjoy her other books as yeah. well. And she also has a sequel to The Charmed List coming out soon too, uh, called Our Cursed Love, which centers on Remy and Cam, who are Ellie and Jack's siblings. So, you know, the story of magical um california continues as well and you know i always appreciate julie um also because she's one of the few authors that we've interacted with that consistently um likes and comments on my instagram stories yeah it's because you post a lot of food stuff and julie is a big foodie that's true that's true. Yeah. I do appreciate Julie it. is also one of the very few authors who listened to our podcast before she became an author. <laughs> so it's it's kind of wild that she was a listener before uh, she got published. And yeah, I'm really so, grateful um, that Julie, she was a early supporter. To this episode. Um, hi. Thanks for thanks. Uh, God, I hope it wasn't too awkward, but uh, we do appreciate you and your writing. <laughs> But I guess with that, that'll do it for our discussion of The Charm List by Julie Abe. Um, thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, as always, if you have some additional feedback you want to talk about either the book or our discussion of it, please let us know on our Goodreads forums. And we always do love to hear from our listeners. And your feedback is appreciated. And speaking of feedback, um, we don't do this enough, but also... If you do enjoy our show, please give us a rating review on Spotify or Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts that offers ratings. It really does help us out. And we've seen our listenership grow over the last few months. And a lot of that is due to, you know, you guys sharing our podcast with your friends and your followers. So um, definitely appreciate any support you guys can give us as well. But with that, um, Rira, what is our book club pick for March 2023? We are reading Front Desk by Kelly Yang, and this will be our first middle grade book for <laughs> our book club. Uh, Marvin and I have read middle grade novels and interviewed middle grade authors, but we've never picked a middle grade novel as an official book club pick. Um, and we thought it was a very appropriate pick because the whole book banning situation in america is it's getting pretty dire and pretty bleak and front desk is probably one of the 
um, it's like a flashpoint, right? Yeah, it really is a uh, it's really a point of reference in in the book banning uh, debate. So, um, front desk is about a Chinese American girl who helps her parents out at a motel that they manage, and they hide immigrants at they hide undocumented immigrants at their motel and it's supposed to the book is supposed to teach readers uh empathy and show experiences of characters who are from marginalized backgrounds who uh, come from undocumented uh background and yeah you can see why it's like the number one book uh number one book that conservative parents and educators would want off their list (laughs) yeah it's a book that um i've actually gifted to my nephews and nieces before so yeah i'm really excited to dive into this book for march and yeah hope you all join us as well um as always again if you've already read the book and have thoughts you want to share with us uh, please let us know on goodreads as you've heard we do like to uh, present um feedback from our listeners on the podcast when we discuss the books as well so That'll do it for this episode of Books and Bulba. Uh, thank you so much for listening to us. Um, Chat about the Charmless by Julie Abe. And we'll see you all next time. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Books and Bulba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Ri Ryu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Bulba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about The Collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, Ryan, what's black and white and red all over? I don't know, Raman. Two nuns having a chainsaw fight? Dude, inappropriate. Come on, man. This is supposed to be a podcast promo for our secret underground podcast, Quarantine Comics. Oh, yes. Quarantine Comics, the weekly comic book club where I, ace reporter Ryan Joe, and I, mild-mannered Raman Sutton, team up to discuss some of comics' greatest works. Or just some really cool comics that we've been wanting to read. From Alan Moore to Uzumaki. From Arrakis to Zendaya. From Adrian Tomine to Jean Luyang. You might might not have heard of half the stuff that we're reading. Or the other half is just pop culture superhero stuff. They could just read the books with us, right? Yes, they could do that, but you could also just send us money. No, Ryan, that's not how passion podcast projects work. Why in the hell are we even doing this? Uh, I'm sure we'll be back by next week's episode. <clears throat> so, tune in each week to Quarantine Comics. That's qtdcomics.com. Set phasers to fun. <laughs>